Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're exploring today's digital revolution, how it's changing every facet of our lives, and especially the wild things that have been happening over the last few months that have turned so many parts of the world upside down, how we live, how we learn, how we work, how we communicate, and I think a lot about how we think about the future, where we're headed, what's going on, what are things going to be like for our kids, our grandkids, uh, ourselves, our jobs, and so on. And uh, somebody always with a great deal of uh, insight, good ideas on this is one of our monthly regular guests, Tony Uphoff, who's the CEO of Thomas. Tony, welcome back. Always great to have you. Hey, thanks, Bob. It's always a blast to be on the program. Uh, and folks, as you know, Tony's the CEO of Thomas. He's been a CEO of multiple companies in the tech space, the media business. He's been a, a blogger, a deep thinker about a lot of different things going on here today. Um, Tony has understood the technology business for a long time, and now he's done his own digital transformation at Thomas, a 120-year-old formerly sort of trade media company that Tony has flipped over into an internet and data services company. So um, Tony, you CEO sitting here at a company now, you've sort of gone through this big overhaul and you say, okay, now we're ready to go into the new thing. And then this new, new thing happened. Yeah. You know, it is an amazing experience, right? So, you know, having the incredible honor to run a 122 year old company that had already started on the journey of really investing in technology through the years and helping to accelerate that transition into much more of a platform business model and, and uh, creating a data business. And, you know, as Thomas serves as the, the uh, ultimate marketplace for buyer and seller uh, of sourcing of industrial products and services, it gives us this just ridiculous window into the industrial economy. So it's just been a blast to be, uh, to be a part of it. Um, I think what's fascinating in the conversations you and I have had over the last several months, obviously, is, you know, a lot of the investments that we made on behalf of the company in terms of advanced technology, both in the way we run the company and the enabling technologies we use to run the company, um, the technology we use to serve our users, uh, and then also the technology with which we serve up the advertising and the, um, the revenue sides of our business. As we did that, what we didn't realize we were starting to do was to create an environment that gave us almost infinite flexibility. So, you know, you, you somewhat take for granted today, and I hope we never do, um, the cloud technology, the mobile technology, the, the remarkable access to infrastructure and software tools that enable us to have a business that when the pandemic broke out, we were able to pivot to fully remote operations. And I emphasize operations, not just remote work, but remote operations, including payroll, billing, you know, quote unquote, back office functions. It, it was really amazing. And I think to your point, if I look at the scope of history that our company's been around, I, I don't think we, as we were building that, anybody would have said, hey, you know what? This would actually set us up to work completely remote operations. I don't ever remember having that conversation. I do remember having the conversation that we wanted to have more agility and flexibility in our structure so that we could hire talent where talent was versus insisting that in our case, it'd be within proximity of downtown Manhattan, New York. Um, but boy, you know, Bob, what a remarkable time. And, and I think as you and I have talked, this, uh, I'll use the term pivot to the remote work, something we thought that was temporary, 
is now opening up whole new perspectives to us about what's in the range of the possible about what we could, uh, what we could do with the structures of our business and how far we could take that. And so like a lot of companies, we're spending a lot of time looking at um, the enabling technologies we're using, how we're using them, but also what comes next now? What, what is it that we want to do as opposed to, I think initially, Bob, when we did this, we were thinking, well, this is going to be two or three months and then we're all going to go back into the office. You know, and that, that, and everything will be, you know, everything will return to normal. And I don't even bother to use the new normal term anymore. I just think we're stepping into a completely different way of thinking about our businesses and, and running our businesses. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Tony. It's, uh, it's, it's been something. And um, I, I know that in the notes that you had sent over, one of the interesting points I think you brought up was, um, uh, you know, I, I find it interesting sometimes, right? You'll hear uh, anything, it seems to me, involving economists to say, and economists expressed surprise that, you know, this went up. Economists were surprised that this went down. I went, well, maybe you ought to go find some new people to check in with because they're always seem not to get it so good. But you, you said there were, uh, there's, you're puzzled sometimes at, at how people are like shocked that remote worker pro productivity as if, you know, one negates the other. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? And so I, I question this inside of our own company. But like you, I participate in a lot of peer review type relationships where I can compare notes with other, other, uh, other you know, folks running companies and things like that. And, and then I guess, I, I, like everybody, I'm influenced by the general business media and what, some of the writing and things like that. But it, it, it seems like you're hearing this repetitive conversation of business leaders surprised at the level of productivity that they're able to generate remotely. And I'm not saying this, I, look, I live in a glass house too. I, I think to a certain extent, I have felt some of the same thing. But on reflection, I, I've really encouraged our company to look at this from a consciously competent point of view of, we shouldn't be the slightest bit surprised. We didn't do these things so that we could be 100% remote. But we also shouldn't be surprised that remote work can be as productive, in some cases, more productive. And, you know, Bob, if you think about it, you and I briefly got into this conversation, kind of a related conversation is, is I think there's a, a story to be written on the myth of the open office, right? You know, and it, and it somewhat fits into what you and I are talking about here. You know, that was an idea that was cooked up um, for increased efficiency, which means jamming more people into the same footprint and hoping that they're productive. There, there was literally not a shred of evidence that that kind of a model made people more productive. Clearly, it made the business more efficient because you could take 300 people and put them in a single footprint, whereas before that would have taken you two or three floors or something, something like that. But I think there's, there's growing evidence that there was a, um, a downside to productivity based on a purely open, you know, everybody's sitting at benches and, and, and that kind of stuff. And I think what's really kind of interesting about the era we're living through, Bob, is in a way, don't we kind of have the best of both worlds? right? This starting to emerge where people can have whatever sort of an office they want. They can have the flexibility of quiet, private office in their home. Um, at the same point in time, it's going to enable a lot of companies to get out from under the fixed cost or sunk cost in real estate that frankly is not particularly leverageable for a company. You know, other than as a place to get together, you know, it doesn't really provide, you know, it's not like an asset on a balance sheet that you go, whoa, 
And look how many square feet this company has. Whoa, let's buy this stock. These guys are killing it, right? You know, it's, it's just sort of one of these fixed cost items that oftentimes we don't stop to really pay attention to unless a, a lease is up. And I think we've been, we've been given this gift, I hate to call it that, of, of re, really rethinking how work can be done today. And I, I know at our company, as well as a lot of companies I talk to, it's really liberated a lot of thinking, Bob. And, and it's gotten people past the, wow, who would have thunk it? We're productive working remotely. And now people are starting to think far more deeply about not just the future of work, but what is the future of that, you know, whether you want to call it remote first, office second kind of model, what does that really look like? And then there's some other tributaries that flow off of that that start to raise some questions or some complexities in the way you want to run a model like that. Yeah, Tony, you know, I, uh, along those lines, I heard a great line the other day, um, Bill McDermott, the CEO of ServiceNow, yeah. was, uh, had done an interview with John Ford. It was, you know, about the future work. They talked about a lot of interesting things. And at one point, Bill McDermott referred to the office as a productivity tool. Uh, he said there will be times when he said there'll be some people who would uh, choose to be, you know, work almost exclusively remotely. But he said, say you've got issues with childcare, you've got issues with parents, you've got other things going on in your home. You need to use the office as a productivity tool. Um, there's, you know, some companies that are saying we're going to ease people into it over quite a long period of time. They're doing weekly surveys and they're they're saying, look, we might open this up to 10% of the people and, you know, we'll do a pool to give everybody a chance to see what goes on there. But I thought it was um, a very interesting application of uh, a relatively familiar term, productivity tools, with something that I don't think most people would ever think of a productivity tool as your office. No, it's like the place where you go to access productivity. So, so it's, we're really scrambling these yeah. ideas about what we have, what we are, these things we've looked at for so long in a similar way. And it does turn them upside down. It turns the notion, as you said, it, it unleashes some creativity about what's possible, what isn't possible, and why do we erect these boundaries around us when there's really no reason to? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I think I think I was sharing with you um, a few minutes before we went on air. We'd made the decision, you know, rather than each month say, "Well, we thought it was August first. Now it's going to be September first. We've just simply said, "Hey, it'll be January twenty-one or sooner before we reopen our New York City offices." But what we are doing in the interim is where we had multiple floors. We're going down to a single floor doing some subtle reconfiguring and we're, we're, uh, we're evaluating um, uh, systems where you can reserve. So that, you know, at no point in time would you have every you know, employee of the company there, we wouldn't be able to do that. But that, I, I really like the way McDermott says that, that's an interesting way to think about it. For those people that either there is a, an appropriate, uh, appropriately structured group meeting, or for them, the office is going to work better from a productivity point of view. We want to create the environment where we can do that. Also, we want to create an environment where on occasion we can have group gatherings and, you know, obviously they need to be spaced appropriately for the foreseeable future. But um, that level of flexibility for us, and, and I will tell you about it, it's a funny thing. You know, you, you talk about how a crisis can sometimes ch you know, really change your perspective. I, I think this is kind of this interesting creative phase for our company where I think it's really unleashed a lot of folks to start to think differently 
about things that I, you know, I know it sounds absurd to say, well, Kish, if you work remotely as opposed to an office, do you look at the business differently? But I think it has kind of liberated people's creativity a bit to start to say, hey, well, why have we done it that way? Could we look at it differently? Could we think about this differently? Um, could we apply technology? That's the other thing I think that's really accelerated at our company. We've always been pretty good with technology. I think we're getting better because more and more people are looking at ways that we can now apply technology to our business as opposed to you know, something that you, you might draft up in an office that your first thought is, well, we got all these people sitting around, I guess I gotta put people against this, right? So it's, an, it, it's a fascinating area. And I think you know, years from now, these will be case studies, right? In some business school about the, the impact that this had on, on business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, the, those things, uh, you know, in traditional offices, conference rooms always get, uh, you know, booked up early. So, you know, who can game the conference room system and all. And we just sort of tracked it that, well, that's how it is. That's an immutable law of physics, right? You can't change that. But I think there's going to be so many interesting things that come out of this. And Tony, when you were describing that, the creativity has been unlocked. It's like, like, why do we do it this way? Um, working remotely forces you to do some things or discover some things that you would not have otherwise right. and learn some new stuff. I'm probably one of the most pathetically incompetent computer users, you know, ever to, to walk the earth, but somehow, you know, working on my own the last three and a half years, I have, and I have no idea how, and I've got this fairly common thing, MacBook air. And, uh, but I've learned how to do some stuff and it always sort of amazes me in some ways that I've been able to figure something like that out even though it's very simple. But what it's allowed me to do then is things that I wasn't able to do before. Yeah. So organizationally, and it's yeah. almost like these groups in, in, in organizations or companies that in the office, they kind of sit right next to each other, but they never talk. But you break things up, you have to understand a little more what goes on on the other side of those walls or partitions. So I, as you said before, you know, it's a gift. We, we can't change what happened. We don't like it, perhaps, but this is reality. And I think leaders like you are pushing this notion of new ways of leading, new ways of looking at what we have here, new ways of saying, hey, this is the environment we have. How do we optimize this? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, Bob, to your point, it's interesting. In your example, um, boy, can I relate to that, right? You know, I, you and I grew up in and around technology circles, and, and our expertise was understanding the implications of technology in the technology market. We weren't technologists, as in engineers or developers or products or services. And, and even with that, you know, we gleaned a bit of technical knowledge. I was in the last four months, my technical abilities have gone up quite a bit. Now, they're probably still rudimentary compared to, to others, but an example would be really the, the um, a, another level of unified communications use as simple as what we're doing right now, understanding the tools, being able to broadcast, being able to video, being able to do these things where in an office, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I can rely on people. We have a little studio and all that kind of stuff. Having to literally figure out, it's got to go this week. I've got to figure this out from my apartment. And, you know, nobody's going to do this for me has actually been really good for me. You know, I've had a few moments of, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. But, but I, all kidding aside, I think that's been, um, for me at least, and I think for so many people at our company, it's been um, 
you know, kind, kind of like a discovery when you start working out and you kind of realize how much you actually can do after you start doing this a little bit and becomes a daily practice of kind of learning something new every day. I think it's just been a really, and I, I, I want to be very clear to, to the listeners, I'm not trying to make light of what people are dealing with. I'm not trying to make light or say, hey, good news, a crisis. I, I'm, not, I'm not giving that pitch. But, but I do think um, leaders need to um, look at some of the positive forcing functions that the pandemic is creating and where they can embrace them. You know, don't fight them because you're, you're just going to swim upstream, you know, embrace them and, and make, you know, on wall street, they use the term, make the trend your friend, mm -hmm. you know, and I think, you know, to a great extent, that's, that's a great opportunity for leaders right now, especially in companies where there's been at least a reasonable investment in technology. You know, if you've got a massive amount of technical debt, you're probably in a world of hurt right now. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's a different set of um, skills and, and practices that you need to do. But if, if you're stayed reasonably current in your systems and your process, you've moved applications into the cloud, you know, all the types of things that we so often talk about on your program, Bob, I, I think this is a time where, um, this is really a time of innovation. So, Tony, along those lines, what would you say happens to, you know, an age-old um, age management term, I guess, you know, uh, management by walking around. How do you do the management by walking around thing in, a, in an online virtual world? Man, isn't that the right question, Bob? You, you know, Tom Peters coined that in, in the search of excellence, what that dates back to the probably late 80s, early 90s, I'm going to say when that book came out. And he he and, and his researchers defined that one of the attributes of, of really excellent companies was that leaders, and particularly very senior leaders, had a technique of management by wandering around. And if you kind of go through history, there's it's not it's not an absolute, but there's a common thread there. And, and I certainly was raised, and so were you, in environments um, where you were encouraged to engage that way. And that's how you learned. It's how you, you demonstrated. It's how you coached. It's how you did a, did a lot of things. Um, it is really hard. And, and I think that's probably the thing that I find that I miss the most. And what I challenge in myself, um, I'm missing the social engagement of managing by walking around. Or am I actually missing something in terms of my ability to coach or guide or, or more importantly, just understand what's going on? You know, a lot of management by wandering around is just to make sure you understand what the heck is going on on a daily basis, right? It's, it's kind of a, a, a twofold thing there. It, and I, I don't have an easy answer to it. I, I have found that the, the, the standing meetings that are a normal part of your life transfer very easily into this kind of an environment. That's not very difficult to do, and we've all experienced that. As, as uh, the millennials in our company use the term, rolling up on somebody unannounced <laughs> in the office is harder to do. But I'll tell you something, Bob, what we've found, and it's actually worked pretty well. Everybody's got scheduled meetings. You can see everybody's schedule. But in addition to Ring Central that leverages uh, Zoom uh, video technology, we're also big users of Slack. Slack has a, a video feature to it, and you can do a quick video Slack call. W what we're finding is that, not in the beginning, but over time, now in month four, there's a fair amount of impromptu ping, you, you accept or you don't accept, 
And I just check in, hey, Bob, what's happening? What's, what's going on? And there are these, what we're discovering it, it, as we look at the data, they tend to be very brief conversations. They could be as short as five minutes, long would be 15 minutes. They're not scheduled. And, um, and they tend to be um, kind of that version of almost managing by walking around, if that, if that makes sense. So I think two answers to your question. I, I don't think there's an easy replicate uh, um, replication of it, pardon me. But I do think perhaps, you know, if you're using management by walk around to monitor people, that was probably not a great use of your time anyways. And there's other ways you could probably figure out to be more productive. So if it's really a way to kind of engage, encourage somebody, motivate somebody, coach somebody, make sure you're aware, you, you want to clarify, you know, hey, I want to make sure I understood what happened in this customer interaction or whatever the heck that it might be. Those impromptu reach outs, we're finding, and again, this too could pass because, you know, so you can't force somebody to answer a video call that doesn't feel like answering a video call, obviously. Um, but that has been maybe one little small way. Um, but boy, I'm hoping some of your, your listeners have other creative ways to, um, I, I don't want to say replicate that, because I think that's a little like the trade show to virtual event failure. I, I don't think it, we're trying to replicate it, but what is it, right, that, that we could discover that provides a similar benefit, right, to that idea of, of the engagement of, of management by walking around? Yeah, yeah. Well, Tony, I've got a question and a comment about that that I want to get to in one second. But first, just a quick word from our sponsor, BMC. In a world that's changing faster than ever before, the biggest challenge for businesses is creating fabulous customer experiences. That objective requires actionable insights and real-time agility from one end of your business to the other. At BMC, they call this the autonomous digital enterprise, and they've put together a set of solutions to help you anticipate what's coming, adjust accordingly, and acknowledge those changes from end to end. To start your journey to the autonomous digital enterprise, visit bmc.com slash ADE. So, Tony, about that thing, the management by walking around, the, the, the question I had is, so are these, you know, impromptu Slack calls, if I ping you, am I rolling up on you video-istically? You are. You are. Okay. So, right. so this, this will make you even more popular with your daughters if you, <laughs> if you, you know, express the term appropriately. Um, and I'm probably butchering, butchering millennial speak here, by the way, but um, well, you're yeah, supposed it, to. Yeah, exactly. We should be at this stage, <laughs> right? Um, I think it is a really interesting dynamic. And I think, you know, the, the flip side of management by walking around is that was an effective management technique nearly 20 plus years ago. And, you know, if you think about how the world has changed since then, the amount of data that a company was able to produce in real time back then was probably close to zero. You know, you, you had monthly, if not quarterly data and review, you had teams of people producing, you know, analysis and all this kind of stuff that the senior execs would look at. So I, I also think that not to suggest that it completely goes away, but I think if you're not developing the systems with which you can see the vital signals of your business, and if not in real time, in, in real enough time, whatever that means in relation to your business and the cycles of your business. Um, I, I think if, if your gut instinct is, man, I just got to walk around and see what that Tony Uphoff is doing just to check in with him, then that, that, that's, a, that's a failure of your systems and your process, not a failure of your management, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, and uh, Tony, I think my uh, sort of comment relating to that coming in as well was, um, you know, some of the big software companies are are creating these tools, you know, from Wal uh, Qualtrics to Workday and others, that these weekly pulses so that it's not just like yeah. the CEO gets it, but yeah. other people in the company can see it. How are we doing about How are we feeling about this? Really that? good point. And really really sort of, good um, point. Triggering the conversation and giving in some ways, it, it doesn't exclude other things, but it gives context to some of those conversations that in some ways take the place of or the, you know, sort of the proxy for the, the walking around thing, like, oh, look at this, who would have known? So, but your, your larger point there about uh, if you do this as if, you know, it's, oh, I don't know what I don't know, and I better go find out what I don't know, rather than saying, I got an idea on some things, let me go help put yeah. this in context. Yeah. Well, I think to your point, too, I know one of the, the journeys we've been on over the last 18 months, particularly is, you know, this is going to sound a little hokey, but it's, it's accurate in our case, is democratizing data. And, and you know, rather than, you know, it, like a lot of companies that have been around a long time, Thomas had these systems that a ton of, you know, like effort were put in to create these reports that when you looked at it actually went to a remarkably small number of people. And... As, as you look at the business today, we've taken that and spread that across a much broader group of people. So the data goes down to proximity to where the application of it is going to have the biggest impact. It could be an application of data and information that benefits a customer, that benefits a, uh, uh, a in, in our case, an advertiser, a supplier, uh, or, or benefits an employee for that matter. But I, I think we're getting better and better. And boy, Bob, as you well know, those tools we use Google Data Studio just to create these dashboards. And, and I got to tell you, those tools have become so flexible. So, you know, I, I, I'm not a developer. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a user of these systems. But, boy, you don't need a manual. You don't need, a, oh, yeah, I can't remember it, the Excel shortcuts again. How does that work? It, it just it, it opens up, I think, a whole new way of using data to to allow people to understand what's going on. So uh, the other one too, and, and, and I know you're a fan of the company as well, um, we're, uh, we're about to bring in Splunk into the company. And what Splunk is gonna allow us to do is to look across all of our systems and to see the ebb and flow of the, the usage of all the systems so we can optimize the various systems that we've got and, and get a, a, an even better understanding uh, of not just the level of activity, but who's using what, where, and when, so that we can optimize them, so we can make them better for the uh, for the overall you know benefit of the company and the employees. Uh, Tony, it's one I love the idea about you know as you mentioned there the democratizing the data, but it's funny right sometimes that's that's a wonderful mission, but how then does a company go about to do that? Because yeah. if we sort of take our old approaches and you know erase the date and you know update them by three or five or 10 years, you can run into trouble. So I won't identify this technology company, but it's, it's one of the biggest technology companies in the world. Uh, they wanted to uh, democratize their database. And so they opened it up to, uh, they wanted to open it up to developers online to get more developers in there doing great things, creating tools and solutions and so on like that. So they said they created a little sandbox, they created all these nice terms, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. 
And, you know, they kept watching the usage monitors and it was like six people, two people, one person they said, what the hell's going on? And so they asked somebody from outside to come in and take a look at it. And uh, but after about a minute, the guy said, uh, well, how much, what's the price, you know, to get in that sandbox and mess around? And somebody said, oh, we cut the price from $200,000 to $30,000. <laughs> All right. Oh, <laughs> geez. And you don't have tens of thousands, coming, you know, pouring in here, but they just didn't think of it that way. Yeah. They thought that the, the, the uh, obstacle to democratization was access, but it isn't. It's all those, it's, it's got to be access. It's got to be the price. It's got to be, is it easy to use? Do you make me sign 500 contracts to go through yeah. all these steps? So really interesting, Tony. And I think it is a, that thing that you talk a lot about. We're getting away some from uh, management and into more leadership. How do you take the concept and yeah. kick it open in a leadership way that opens it up to more folks? And Tony, I wanted to be sure to ask you, you know, with the, the fabulous work that your company, Thomas, does, and also your, your you know, high growth, high usage platform Thomas Net is doing. What are you seeing over, you know, the past few weeks since we've talked about some interesting trends coming up? Yeah, I'll, I'll share with you, Bob, and, and I think we've, we've touched on this before. We're now in the fourth wave of a monthly survey that we do on top of the data. So we survey, uh, you know, on, a, on an average month, we survey a thousand manufacturing companies about the impact that COVID-19 pandemic is having on their business. And, and I'll give you some really fascinating trends and, 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 and some of the things that we're seeing move around in the data. So the, the first is very early on when we did the first survey, um, we saw a surprising level of companies that were likely or extremely likely to reshore their manufacturing back to North America. And I say a, a surprising number, Reshoring has been taking place for the better part of a decade. You know, the, the, a lot of people think manufacturing all left the United States. Not only did it not, it's actually been slowly but surely coming back. Not quite the same way, but it has been coming back. The COVID-19 uh, pandemic has accelerated that. So early on, it was about 45 to 50 percent, I believe, uh, were likely or extremely likely. That's now at 70 percent. Oh, wow. Uh, four months in. So that, that's a remarkable, you know, focus on reshoring. As you, as you might know, Bob, the U.S. government um, has replaced their narrative on tariffs and are starting to talk about accelerating reshoring. So they're starting to think about putting stimulus bills, which I think is a very smart step. I think the average person can't really understand a tariff. It's complicated. You don't really understand the mathematical formula. There's nothing hard to understand about reshoring. Right, and so I think you're going to see uh, continued acceleration and growth on that, which which is is uh, quite good for North American manufacturing. The other thing we're seeing is more robust hiring than we would have anticipated. So, close to 40% of the companies are actually hiring right now. So you would think this would be this very difficult time, and production is coming back online. Um, and then a corollary data point, as you know, in the manufacturing industry, the biggest barrier over the last 10 years or so has been skilled labor. You know, manufacturing jobs fell out of favor today. Uh, they're not white collar or blue collar. They're new collar jobs. They're high tech manufacturing jobs. They're excellent jobs, great pay, great benefits. But we've, we've kind of convinced a generation or two that manufacturing is not a great career option. So there's this, there's this you know, uh, skills gap, if you will. Well, what our data showed is that companies, Bob, that invested in apprenticeships 
have been able to weather that better than others. Now, it seems painfully obvious, but apprenticeships have been hard to, to get off the ground in the United States. As you know, they, they really came from European manufacturing, particularly German manufacturing. And it looks like that's actually starting to have a very positive impact, which is, is really, really great to see. And then the, the third piece I would mention is we're seeing a, a, a dramatic lift in demand uh, around um, anything you and I would define as ad advanced manufacturing, robotics, um, IIoT, uh, 3D printing, you know, any, any you know, it, it's clear that very similar to the way we were talking about how a company like mine would run and we're increasingly leaning on technology to provide scale and, and access and flexibility, manufacturers are doing the same thing. And we think, Bob, that combination of reshoring, um, perhaps a little window of opportunity around skills shortage and an increase in investment in uh, automation technology, I, we really believe this is gonna reshape global manufacturing for decades to come. Um, and, and not just in the areas that we would think of as like personal protection equipment. We think that that's, you know, that's gonna uh, really reshape the landscape. On the day-to-day -day data that we track, every second somebody's sourcing a product or evaluating a supplier on ThomasNet, we've seen interesting, in May, we saw a slowdown of PPE sourcing. And okay, looks like we're kind of through the worst part of this. Guess what? That's now lifted back up. We are seeing some subtle differences, which is interesting. And I don't, you know, I can, I can um, theorize why this is happening, but I, I'm not positive I completely understand it. Um, masks, traditional masks that many of us are wearing, right? Um, that has been consistently high. In May, it slowed down. Um, it stayed kind of about May levels into June. What spiked dramatically was um, shielding equipment. So what we assume part of this is, is as companies, particularly in the Northeast, are starting to open back up, particularly consumer facing companies, if you've been in to get a haircut or something, right? You know, they've, they've got this plastic shielding. So we think that's why um, sanitization materials and equipment off the, you know, just off the charts. So that continues to, to you know, to be very, uh, very, very high. But um, we think in terms of sourcing, and then, you know, there's 72,000 categories we track. So there's all kinds of other trends there. But, but I, I don't think that we're gonna move away from PPE sourcing anytime soon. I, I think it's gonna be with us obviously until, um, until we see a scalable vaccine solution. I think you're just, you're, it, it's too risky for companies, um, schools, public facilities, that kind of thing. I think you're gonna see you know, that continue for, uh, for an extended period. Uh, Tony, fascinating there, the range and uh, extent of the insights that, you know, with ThomasNet that you're able to pull together. And hey, I'm going to go on mute here for a second, but any chance you could use some of your sourcing contacts? I could use a case of Purell. I got you covered. Okay. I got you covered. Do you want your own logo on that? Do you want a Cloud Wars Live logo on that? Uh, I, I don't want to get showy about it. It's Got it. Got it. But uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. I know a guy. Okay. Well, Tony, uh, you know, as always, fascinating. Did, did you have any final thought, anything you wanted to, to wrap with? You know, I, I think, um, I guess I go back to kind of where we started, Bob, a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you and I share a common trait that we're optimists by nature. 
Um, we're, we're people that look forward and don't spend a lot of time looking backwards. And I, I don't mean to, to look at the world through rose-colored glasses and, oh my gosh, you know, look at all these opportunities that are being created. Um, this is without question a moment of opportunity. And I, I just encourage other leaders, share your ideas, share your thoughts on this. Um, I think if, if people can calm their fears and anxiety, focus on there are tremendous market opportunities to be had right now. And I think clever use of um, uh, a very accessible technologies today. And I, by accessible, I mean affordable too. Yeah. And, and I think it, it is just, I think a remarkable time that companies that can be agile and can be innovative right now are really gonna find a disproportionate win on the backside of this horrible pandemic that we're wrestling with. And so I just, you know, I, I, I encourage myself, I encourage our company, I encourage others around me, um, don't, don't get locked into this idea that it's like our office space, you know, conversation, don't get locked into this idea that you're limited right now, because you really aren't. Now, yes, there's some tough things for companies to work through, but boy, this is a, a really great time to connect with new users, connect with new customers, um, listen to employees, try new ideas and things, because I, I think um, you may find a year or two from now, it, it, it's less of an arena for creativity and innovation if, if work kind of gets back to, to the basics. So um, I guess a long way of saying, Bob, don't waste these opportunities. And again, I don't mean to make light of some of the challenges that we're all working through, but I think there's also um, on the flip side of this, some just remarkable opportunities. It is, Tony. And in a, an episode we did yesterday with Charlie Araujo, you know, one of the things that I mentioned there, I think it's some of this new phase of leadership and some new things, whether you're a CEO or, you know, other leaders in companies or an entrepreneur working on your own. Um, but these choices we make, right, we can choose to feel trapped. We can choose yep. to feel paralyzed. We can choose, yep. you know, these various other things. Or you can choose to be, uh, you know, optimistic and opportunistic and get out there, uh, I think, as you said, because I think people are looking for that. They're eager to see inspiration, uh, open-mindedness, you know, th this thing of new ideas. So many companies over the last 10 years have said, yes, we, we, uh, we, we, we accept failure. You know, fast failure is good. We learn from lessons. Yeah, well, point to some of the example. Well, yeah. they're not Introduce me to the guy that failed, yeah. would you? Yeah. <laughs> so, but Tony, no, those, those are wonderful concluding thoughts on it. I think this is great. Uh, I hope that, um, you know, between now and the next time we get together, you have, get a chance to have some fun and enjoy the summer as well as, uh, you know, doing great things with Thomas. And thanks as always for sharing some of your great ideas with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Thanks, pal. Good to see you, Bob. Tony, thanks a million. And folks, especially to all of you, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it's always a pleasure. We hope that you're doing well. I hope there's some fun to be had in the summer for all of you. And we look forward very much to seeing you next time here at Cloud Wars Live.